big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hello? Oh, hey there, Molly from Pod and Prejudice. It's audio producer Graham. What do you need? You need me to do the patron thanks? And also let the fans know about a fun new event that we're doing this week? You got it. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, a couple housekeeping things. First, this Wednesday, May 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Becca and Molly are going to be moderating a discussion with Audrey Beleza and Emily Harding, co-authors of Emma of 83rd Street. The event's going to take place on the Likewise app, a media and entertainment platform for social content discovery of TV, film, books, and podcasts. So if you want to hear Becca and Molly talking about Emma of 83rd Street, tune into the Likewise app at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, May 17th. We also want to thank our newest patrons over on Patreon, Sarah Superstar and Shadow Queen. Welcome to the team. And now... Enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 37 and 38 of Emma. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books before. And I, Molly, am reading her for the first time through this podcast. If you want to listen to Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we're talking about Emma, volume three, chapters one and two, or if your book isn't broken up into volumes, that's chapters 37 and 38. Mm-hmm. Becca... Where were we when we left off? We were at a party that Emma threw out of necessity in order to not snub Mrs. Elton, Augusta, if you will. Augusta. Augusta. In rare form in these chapters, but we'll get there. And we find out Frank is coming back and that Emma is feeling hashtag weird about it. She is. She's anxious. Anxious. So let us begin with chapter one of volume the third. Emma decides the reason she's anxious about Frank coming back is not because she's feeling nervous about herself, but she's more nervous about him still being in love with her and feeling embarrassed for him if that's the case because she's so over it. Oh, so over it. But this is actually really interesting because like it's a question of how much you really believe Emma or not. But well, we'll get into it. It's in the study questions. Okay. <laughs> I have feel I have feelings on this. I have opinions. It's just the way that she says, I don't even like him anymore. Oh, and she's like, she like takes a moment and she's like, do I? No. Oh, God. It's just going to be awkward because he's so in love with me. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. She wants to make sure that when he's there, he doesn't like profess his love to her. Mm-hmm. And um, she she thinks that if he did, they would not be able to be friends afterwards. 
She says she's worried that he's going to do something to disrupt her present composed and tranquil state. Like, girl, you are not composed and tranquil. <laughs> the Churchills get to town later than originally planned, but not too long after they arrive, Frank does come to visit. And upon Frank entering the room, Emma is immediately like, he's over it. He seems a little bit like, she says that he's like all a flutter mm-hmm. um, and like kind of not nervous, but just like on edge on edge yeah and that's like not why she thinks that he's not in love with her what really makes her think that he's not in love with her is that he only stays for 15 minutes and then he's like I actually ran into some friends out there I'm gonna have to go say hi to them yep so I mean this is a different Frank Churchill in some ways Mm -hmm. because like the old Frank Churchill would stay for hours and talk with Emma and her father and it's only been two months but now he's like I gotta go yeah However, she does think a little bit that he's hurrying off because he doesn't trust himself in her presence. Uh, But I think she's projecting. (laughs) I mean, she's just thinking about it. I mean, like, when you like someone, do you ever have the experience of, like, trying to justify their text messages that seem like they're not really into you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I know I personally have gone in circles being like, oh, he only texted that because he's afraid to show how much he cares. It's like, no. He didn't text back because he's not that into you and he doesn't want to. Um, This is why you're Emma and I'm Harriet because I'd be like, he doesn't love me anymore. Oh, I love to rationalize away. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is a real thing. I'm not making this up. So he's there for 10 days Mm -hmm. and he only visits that one time. And... He says that he doesn't visit again because Mrs. Churchill cannot bear for him to leave her. And Emma thinks that if he is telling the truth about this, then Mrs. Churchill's moving to London seems to not have helped her nervous spirit. Um, I was also wondering if this was Jane Austen in the corner kind of commenting on Mrs. Churchill and her like, is she sick? Well, I think we're continually meant to be asking whether or not Mrs. Churchill is actually sick. Yeah. Uh, Frank thinks she is. He says he's convinced that she's ill or at least weaker than she used to be. Mm -hmm. And he can't agree with Mr. Weston that she's making it up. It turns out, though, that London is too loud for her. And so they decide to move again to Richmond. I had so many questions about this related to Ted Lasso. (gasps) Richmond AFC. Yeah, I mean, okay, so they talk all the time in Ted Lasso about how Richmond AFC is in London. But if it's right by London... In this time period, I need British people to answer this for me. Is Richmond like a suburb of London nowadays? Is oh. is this the same Richmond from Ted Lasso? I need to know. Yeah, I actually didn't think about the fact that Richmond AFC is in Richmond, which is where they are. I don't know if it is. I don't know if this is the same Richmond because everything in England has the same names, apparently, including John. Um <laughs> Um, question also for British people. Do you guys like Ted Lasso as much as we Americans do? I think the answer is no, but I don't <laughs> know for sure because I feel like it's probably not an entirely accurate portrayal of the UK, but for sure. But we we in the US do enjoy a, a good amount of Ted Lasso. It's very heartwarming and, uh, you know, good times. But I just have questions about whether or not it's the same Richmond it's very important that I know. Yeah, no, this is important for us. Yes. Ooh, a thread about Ted Lasso characters as um, Jane Austen characters in general, Emma characters. Well, 
Mm, it's hard. It's hard because it's focused on men. I know. I mean, members of the uh, Richmond AFC team as heroines in Jane Austen novels. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, first of all, Roy Kent is Mr. Darcy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then. But as heroines, Jamie Tart is Emma. Oh, yeah. Jamie Tart is 100% Emma. Uh, Danny Rojas is Jane Bennett. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your baby. Um, who else? Oh, no. Sam Obasanya is Jane <gasps> Bennett. Danny Rojas is maybe Marianne Dashwood. I was going to say either either Marianne or... Um, yes. I apologize Margaret. for my slip there, guys. That was crazy. Yeah. Sam Obasanya is the most obvious Jane Bennett of oh, all I time. Oh, Sam Obasanya. Oh, beautiful man. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm also watching, and this is a side note, I didn't come up in our Patreon content, but I've been watching The Power, um, mm. which is based on a book I really like. Is that the one with Sam Awasanya? Yes. Oh. Yeah, he's in it, and he's so good. I love him. Um, but I think Colin is Eleanor, and I yeah. don't want to give away spoilers as to why. You're right. But You're right. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and, oh, God, who's Lizzie? Mm. Ooh. 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 Wait, this is hard. Who's Lizzie? Here's what we're going to do. We are going to go to the masses, and uh, when this episode comes out, we will post on our Instagram and say, and with a little message box, and say, guys, which member of AFC Richmond is Lizzie Bennett? So good. Perfect. Okay, we can move on to Jane Austen Okay, now. yes, let's talk about Jane Austen. So um, they're moving to Richmond, which is a lot nearer, as we've discussed, to London mm-hmm. than uh, wherever they were before. No, no, no. They, it's, it's near to London, but oh. they're also... Richmond's outside of London, so they're a little nearer to To uh, Highbury. Highbury. Right. That's what I meant to say. Um, So Mr. Weston thinks that Richmond is the perfect distance away. He's so cute and optimistic. He's like, it's even better than if he was closer than that because it's the perfect traveling distance. Um, It's only nine miles as opposed to London being 16. Now that they're going to be closer... Frank says that he's going to be there visiting all the time and they decide they can definitely finally do the ball at the Crown Inn. Frank writes to them to say that the move to Richmond is already doing his aunt good and he thinks he can get away for any given day. Just tell him when to come. Mm -hmm. Mr. Woodhouse agrees to the ball because it is May now and instead of it being February when it's cold, it's going to be nice out. Yes. So we are recording this in May. So to me, that is very much uh, accurate because I hate going out in February. But even like walking my dog now, I'm like, oh, it's so nice out. Like, spoiler alert, listeners, Molly and I are going to go out and have fun after this. Like, we're going to go outside and frolic. (laughs) I can't wait to frolic. It's going to be great. So that brings us to chapter two or chapter 38. The ball. The ball. It's happening. Yes. And not to give too much away to you, because I know you were upset that I cut you off here, (laughs) but this is the chapter that is the ball. Yeah. So, like, next chapter will be not the ball. All right. Well, good. I'm glad that we are ending on the ball. (laughs) Not to give too much away about where we're going on this, listeners, but Molly texted me because she thought I cut it off in the middle of the ball. And I'm like, no, Jane Austen cut it off in the middle of the ball. Yeah. I was less upset that you cut it off in the middle of the ball and more I was upset about you cut it off in the middle of a conversation that I wanted to keep reading. Well, the conversation was over, but we will get there. Yes. We will get there. (laughs) Oh, my God. So it's the day of the ball. Frank arrives. And this is going to be the first time Emma's seeing him since that time he visited. 
Mr. Weston asks Emma to come early to the ball to make sure everything's okay, and she comes with Harriet. And then Frank appears to have been waiting for them, and it says, though he did not say much, his eyes declared that he meant to have a delightful evening. Oh, that's so fun. What is that? Like, he's like, just like, hey. And then he, he's uh, excited. He's yeah. giving off like a like an excited vibe. Yeah. He's like really game for this party right now. He loves to party. Frank loves a dance, as we're learning. Yeah. But we'll get to it. Yeah. Oof, the sexy dance. Like, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> the hand touching. So shortly after they get there, another carriage arrives. And at first, Emma's like... That's unfashionably early for people to be arriving, but it turns out to be a group of Mr. Weston's friends who he also invited to come early and check out the space. I love Mr. Weston. This is great behavior because like if you go to like a family meal yeah. and your mom's like, can you get there early and help me like set the table and cook stuff? You're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But sometimes she asks like multiple family members to come early. You're like, well, you're just starting the meal early. Like, Yes, that's exactly what happens because like more and more people start filtering in and Emma's like okay so the whole party's gonna be here early exactly she feels less special (laughs) she was like I guess he doesn't actually care that much about my opinion yeah I mean it's not as much about her taste as him being like I want my friends to come early and everyone's his friend right so eventually they settle around the fire the whole group and Emma learns that the Westons had actually stopped by the Bateses before they came offering their carriage. But the Bateses said that the Eltons were picking them up. Mm-hmm. So Frank is like looking around anxiously and Emma can't tell if he just wants the party to get started or if he's too nervous to be near her. To me, this reads like he's waiting for someone to arrive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says that he's excited to see Mrs. Elton. And um, in my mind, I'm like, OK, but Mrs. Elton, as we know, is bringing Jane. I'm still thinking something's going on between them. Then they hear a carriage and he jumps up to greet it. And he's like, wait, if it's Mrs. Elton, I don't actually know her. So I probably shouldn't be the first person to greet her. Can someone else go greet her first? Mm -hmm. And the Eltons enter and Mr. Weston is like, wait a minute. (laughs) Where's Jane and Miss Bates? And they're like, oh, oops. (laughs) Unbelievably rude stuff. Just like. Don't offer to bring someone and then forget them. I mean, Mrs. Elton, Augusta, was way too excited about the fact that she's decided this is her party. Yes. And that she is the center of this party. <laughs> I thought it was funny because they were like, they come in, they're like, oh, yes. Oh, this is later, I think. But she says to Mrs. Weston, it's such a, it's such an honor and delight to bring one's friends to a party, to send one's carriage to your friends. It's like, bitch, you forgot her. Yeah. Like, you straight up passed by her house. Anyway, um, they send the carriage out for them. And when the carriage returns, Frank is like, I'm going to go get them an umbrella. (laughs) And he runs and gets an umbrella. And Mrs. Elton immediately turns to Mr. Weston as Frank is walking away and starts complimenting him. Though, of course, he can still hear her. So this is intentionally placed Mm -hmm. on her part. And she says that Frank is without conceit or puppyism, which I had to Google because I thought puppy, I was like, does that mean like without like being like, mm-hmm. but it actually means, well, I think in this case, she means it to mean youthful folly, but it can also mean extreme meanness, affectation, conceit, or impudence. So it could be either of those. Then she goes on to say she hates puppies. Now, in this case, I think what she's saying is she hates people who have that affectation of like puppyism but the way it reads is that she hates puppies honestly 
I'm not sure. Like it could be either, right? I'm going to read the exact quote because even if it is that, I mean, taken out of context, it makes her sound even more like a villain. I wrote demon in my yeah. notes. <laughs> you must know that I have a vast dislike for puppies, quite a horror of them. They were never tolerated at Maple Grove. Neither Mr. Suckling nor me had ever any patience with them. And we used to sometimes say very cutting things. Selena, who was mild almost to a fault, bore with them much better. So to me, like the fact that they're, quote, not tolerated at Maple Grove makes me think it's actually about dogs, but I can't tell. Right. Like it sounds like it's about dogs, but then she, but like, or dogs, like humans. Ugh, can't uh, really tell. Yeah. It, either way, you don't want to be a person who hates puppies. It's like literally the only thing all human beings agree on. We all love puppies. Yeah. Anyway, as soon as she brings up Maple Grove, Mr. Weston is like, okay, I'm actually going to, I have to go greet the other guests. Again, I love the like little ongoing bit where like she is so insufferable that even the nicest people in the novel are like, I need to leave immediately. Yeah. Yeah. This is when Mrs. Elton turns to Mrs. Weston and she's like, oh, like that must be Jane arriving. It's such a pleasure to send my carriage for a friend. And she <laughs> she tells Mrs. Weston that she knows that she offered her carriage to them. But she doesn't have to do that anymore. Uh, this is such this vibe. It's like, mm, I, I I realized you were texting Jane about maybe picking her up. I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like it's really like more my thing to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's like, she's my best friend. Yeah, I just feel like it's kind of weird that you would offer. It's like really sweet and all. But you know I'm always going to send like my carriage to go get Jane. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. But it's so nice of you. So nice of you. It's like, ugh. <laughs> ugh. Augusta. Augusta. So um, Jane and Miss Bates enter and Mrs. Elton goes to greet them as if it's her party and everyone sees that mm-hmm. happening. And then we have a page and a half of Miss Bates talking. This happens twice in this chapter. Um, first, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to give a shot at trying to do one of these like one breath wonders? Ooh, it's a page and a half, but I can try. I mean, you don't have to do the whole thing. You could just do an excerpt. Yeah, I'll, I'll read an excerpt. An excerpt. So very obliging of you. No rain at all. Oh, wait, I didn't take a big enough breath. (gasps) So very obliging of you. No rain at all. Nothing to signify. I do not care for myself. Quite thick shoes. And Jane declares, well, as soon as she was within the door, well, this is brilliant indeed. This is admirable. Excellently contrived. Upon my word. Nothing wanting. Could not have imagined it. So well lighted up. Jane, Jane, look. Did you ever see anything? Oh, Mr. Weston, you must really have had Aladdin's lamp. Good Miss Stokes would not know her own room again. I saw her as I came in. She was standing in the entrance. Oh, Miss Stokes, I said, said I, but I had not time for more. I think that's good. Yeah. And then she goes on. She thanks Mrs. Elton for the carriage. She thanks Mrs. Weston for offering her carriage. She feels blessed with her, the best neighbors ever. Um, she says that her mother is at the Woodhouses, and she says she's wearing a shawl that the Dixons bought for her at Weymouth. Mm-hmm. She asks Jane if her feet got wet outside, and then she turns to Frank and tells him that her mother's spectacles haven't broken since he fixed them. And she says that they talk about him all the time. She goes, don't we, Jane? Don't we talk about Mr. Uh, Frank Churchill all the time? And then she sees Emma, and she says it would be rude to compliment her, but she looks, and then she cuts herself off. What does that mean? Why is it rude to compliment her? I feel like maybe it's gauche, but she looks lovely. Like, she doesn't want to say she looks lovely because that implies that she doesn't always look lovely. I have no idea. No, yeah, Yeah. it's weird. And then she says, doesn't Jane's hair look great? She did it herself. And then she just goes around greeting everyone and finally settles at the fireplace. And that is the distilled version. (laughs) 
Um, then Frank comes to stand by Emma, and when Miss Bates is no longer talking, they can hear Mrs. Elton and Jane's conversation. Mrs. Elton is complimenting Jane's dress and then fishing for compliments on her own dress. And she says she doesn't usually like to dress up, but she thinks that since this ball is being given for her, she wouldn't want to be inferior at a oh. ball in her honor. So much to unpack here. First of all, um, the gall, mm-hmm. the audacity, <laughs> um, the don't make me sing energy of the whole thing. Yes. Big and time. Don't, don't make me sing. So, yeah, I mean, first of all, Mrs. Elton complimenting Jane solely so Jane will compliment her dress solely so she can say, oh, I don't really like dressing up. I'm not like other girls. I'm a cool girl. (laughs) And also her assuming that the ball has been thrown for her. When this plan existed long before they even knew who she was. Yes. Like, it's one of those things where Jane Austen has done this spectacular job of making her irritating on every level so that, like, we feel the same level of ugh that Emma feels at every given point. Mm -hmm. Then she starts to talk about how she hears Frank is a good dancer and she's looking forward to dancing with him. (laughs) And Frank, who has obviously been eavesdropping, is like, uh, uh," and starts like talking loudly over her so that he doesn't hear anything else. But then Mr. Elton finds the other two. And so, and they hear Mrs. Elton being like, oh, like we thought you would find us. I was just telling Jane you were going to be looking for us. And Frank mutters to Emma that she's being too informal by calling her Jane Mm -hmm. and not Miss, uh, Fairfax. Fairfax. Yes. (laughs) Yes. What's her last name? Um, Emma asks how he likes Mrs. Elton, and he says not at all. And Emma calls him ungrateful. Oh, because she's, like, so fawning over him. Oh. Yeah. Mrs. Elton has, like, no self-awareness, and so she keeps being like, oh, my God, all these people love me. Mm -hmm. These people love me. Oh, Frankie's so cute. I cannot believe we're best friends now, and it's making Frank really uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he is like, what do you – you know what? I don't want to know what you even mean by that. And he goes to look for his father. And Emma thinks that Frank's in a weird mood. Frank then returns with both the Westons and they are frazzled because Mrs. Weston realized that Mrs. Elton would be expecting to be the first dance. And they'd intended for Emma to do that because this is kind of like her ball, mm-hmm. actually. And I just like wonder why they're catering so much to Mrs. Elton, like that they would change their plans for who's going to do the first dance. Well, she's basically putting them in an impossible position because you may forget we are in Jane Austen times. Right. You can't be rude to anybody. Right. It's against the rules. But she's rude to everyone. And it's like a one side. It's a one way street. So she's so rude that she's assumed this ball is for her. Mm hmm even though it's not. And they either have to be rude in return or rearrange their plans. Right. So they are deciding to rearrange their plans rather than be rude in return. Yeah. It's infuriating. Yes. It's like talking to a brick wall. Yes. Ugh. She is a brick wall. Yeah. Not a brick house. She's no. not letting it all hang out. Uh-uh. No, no, no. no. Mr. Weston also points out that she's going to expect to dance with Frank. And Frank is like, uh, no, I'm, I'm dancing with Emma. And... <laughs> Mrs. Weston. Not a fucking chance. I'm spending time with that woman. No way. And Mrs. Weston is like, okay, then Mr. Weston, you'll have to. Fine. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, okay, fine. 
So Mr. Weston and Mrs. Elton go out to have the first dance and then Emma and Frank follow. And Emma is annoyed to be second when she kind of thought this ball was being thrown for her, which it more so was. Yes, it definitely was. Although it does go to, again, that point of like, is Mrs. Elton just a reflection of all the worst parts about Emma? Yes. Although as we go on in the chapter, you can see that Mrs. Elton starts acting in a way that Emma would never. But in her worst moments, maybe. 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 Mm. Emma thinks that this is almost enough to make her want to marry because if she was a bride, she'd have to be paid that respect. So, so real. I'm the princess. Yeah, she wants to be a princess. She's like, I'm the princess for the day. Um, Emma's happy with the dancing and, and, you know, the group that has gathered, but she's angry because she sees Knightley standing with the other older men on the sidelines instead of dancing with the young people. Which classic classic nightly he's like i don't want to dance i'm just gonna talk to my old man friends like why is she surprised um but she says quote he could not have appeared to greater advantage perhaps anywhere than where he had placed himself in saying that he's looking young and hot next to the old stooped men yep (laughs) she thinks that nobody but frank is as hot as nightly and she starts watching him move around and she thinks that he moves with a natural grace that would be great for dancing if he would just dance. And she wishes that he would like Frank better. Emma thinks that Knightley's watching her, but she's like, he's probably not enjoying my dancing, but rather criticizing my behavior in dancing with Frank. But she's not flirting with Frank. She says, our behavior is very friendly right now. So she's not embarrassed. And she's like, mm, Knightley's just being a, a little judgy bitch. Or jealous. I don't know. Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, The ball continues to go smoothly until the last two dances when Emma notices that Harriet no longer has a partner, which is odd because they had all been so evenly matched before. And then Emma notices Elton walking around and sees that he is actively avoiding asking Harriet to dance, um, basically flaunting the fact that he will not dance with her. Mm Mm-hmm. As Emma passes by him in the line, like, because you know how they're in a in the dance, they, like, walk mm-hmm. up the line. She passes by him and she overhears his conversation with Mrs. Weston. And she sees Mrs. Elton also listening and giving him kind of, like, looks with her eyes. Being super obvious about it, too. Yeah, being obvious mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, Emma would never do And this. you also just know that Augusta thinks she's being subtle. Yeah. So she's she- like, mm-hmm. She's like, I mean, it's a, an audio medium, but it's like. Yeah, the audience can hear what you're doing with your eyes right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Mrs. Weston is encouraging Mr. Elton to dance. And he says, oh, like, my dancing days are behind me unless you would dance with me or maybe Mrs. Gilbert. And Mrs. Weston is like, well, what about Miss Smith? And he says, oh, no, I'm an old married man now. I can't dance. So here's the thing that's really fucked up about this is that he led Jane Fairfax onto the dance floor. so. It's an obvious slight. He did? Yeah. I forgot. No, it's fine. It's it's a small detail, but it tells you that, like, he's not actually opposed to dancing with single women. He's opposed to dancing with Harriet because he wants to make her look sad. But he did dance with Jane, who is also single. So he can go fuck himself. Fuck Elton. Mrs. Weston is shocked because this is such obvious behavior. And Emma sees him and Mrs. Elton giving each other, quote, smiles of high glee. Ugh, fury, infuriating. Infuriating. And Emma is 
so mad. But moments later, she sees Mr. Knightley leading Harriet out to dance. <laughs> okay, we need a moment. We need a moment for our guy Knightley because it's his dreamboat behavior. I love him so much. I know. He hears this conversation and he's being Mr. Grum doesn't want to dance. Like, so angry. But, like, he's clearly above Elton in status. Mm-hmm. Hears this conversation and then goes, snubs Mr. Elton and helps like restore Harriet's dignity. Yeah. It's so sweet. It's so I, sweet. Yeah. And Harriet's so happy. It says that she's like floating along the dance floor. Of course, because Mr. Knightley is one of the highest ranked men at this ball. And yeah. uh, as Emma's pointed out, he's very handsome he's and hot. He's hot. And he comes over to her when she's just been slighted by a guy she cared about. And is like, no, no, we're not doing that. You're going to dance with me. It's, uh, uh, I could, I could write poetry about Mr. Knightley based on this. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But it gets better. Uh. So, (laughs) So they're dancing. And Elton retreats to the card room in shame. But then Emma overhears Mrs. Elton commenting that Mr. Knightley has taken pity on Harriet. And Emma's like, So this is a great moment because it's like Mrs. Elton saving face, but also Mrs. Elton not really knowing how big a deal Knightley is because Elton has to retreat. Yeah. And Mrs. Elton doesn't really get that Knightley's better than her husband. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah, it's like, it's a whole thing. But it just goes to show how like, it's impossible to argue with someone who's this ignorant. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. exhausting. It's fear- infuriating. But it doesn't matter because Knightley was a dreamboat and yes. we love him. He really was. <laughs> so now it's time to go to supper and Miss Bates talks for another two pages, um, <laughs> which I have distilled yet again. She tells Jane to put on her tippet, which is a fur scarf because of the draft in the hall. And Frank helps her put it on. Then she says that she left during the dancing to go put her mom to bed and come back. And she says her mom had a great time at Mr. Woodhouse's. Um, She says that someone, maybe Frank, is escorting her and Jane into the dining room. I wasn't entirely sure, but she says um, they need to wait to go after Mrs. Elton, who is the queen of the evening. Um, She notes the candles everywhere. And that reminded me that a lot of people responded to our conversation Mm -hmm. about wax candles in the schoolroom. There was another kind of candle at this time. A cheaper kind of candle. Yes, it was called, it was a tallow, I think is the word, mm-hmm. candle, which is like some other kind of. So they can afford to light their whole house at night with wax, wax candles. candles. Very fancy. Yes. And tallow candles like smell bad and burn faster mm-hmm. and smoke more and all this stuff. So anyway, candles everywhere. Uh, she continues telling Jane about her mom's evening at the Woodhouse's. She says there was <laughs> sweetbread and asparagus, but Mr. Woodhouse sent it back because the asparagus wasn't boiled enough. And she was disappointed because uh, her mom loves asparagus, but they agreed never to speak about it to anyone so that Mr. Woodhouse wouldn't be embarrassed. Which, so many things. First of all, she just spoke about it to yes, somebody. Yes, loudly. Yes. Second of all, um, I love that Mr. Woodhouse has this little old ladies club where he invites over Mrs. Goddard and Mrs. Bates every time Emma goes out and they have dinner together. Third of all, I'm just picturing like borderline mute old Mrs. Bates sitting at this table and watching her favorite dish be carried out, which is very fancy. She can't have it all the time. She's not very wealthy. And Mr. Woodhouse just being like, I'm so sorry. This is going to be too hard on your stomach. We have to send it back. And she's just like, no. No. Oh my God, you're so right. And she never talks. She just sits there. It's just like, you watch it come out and then watch it be taken away. It's so sad. Tragic. It's a... so funny. <laughs> just like, I'm picturing her like little old hand. Yeah, she was about to get it and to then grab it's taken out. Spear. 
god yeah um so anyway they get seated and they get soup and she starts to eat her soup so she is quiet for a moment um after supper emma finally gets a chance to talk to nightly and she calls him over with her eyes (laughs) and she thanks him for dancing with harriet and he says that mr elton was being unforgivably rude and he also calls out the fact that he was watching mrs elton give him those like glances because not subtle not subtle he said, quote, they aimed at wounding more than Harriet, and meaning they were clearly trying to also upset Emma. Mm-hmm. And he asks why they hate her. She has not told him about the Elton proposal. He doesn't know. He has no idea. You know, Mr. Knightley is just um, perceptive enough to have known that Elton was a little bit of a social climbing, sniveling rat mm-hmm. early on. He might not even know the extent to how much of a little social climber he was. Mm-hmm. But so basically, he's just like, why do they hate you so much? And Emma's like, no reason. Yeah. He says that she wanted him to marry Harriet. And Emma says, yeah, uh, I did. And they'll never forgive me for it. He then says, he won't say I told you so. He'll leave her with her own reflections on this <laughs> Which matter. is basically saying I told oh, you so. Oh, 100%. No question, Mr. Knightley's a Virgo. <laughs> we, we appreciate the opportunity to say I told you so. Just like more than is like polite or healthy. So... <laughs> He does love to say, I told yes. you so. But he wants to leave her with her own reflections. And she says, can you trust me with such flatterers? Does my vain spirit ever tell me that I'm wrong? Which I think is so hilarious and self-aware of her. Yeah, that's kind of what we'll talk about this in the study questions. Mm-hmm. But you can really see Emma's self-awareness building yes. through the book. And I think it's really reflected in these chapters. But I do want to pull up that quote because I love that quote. Not your vain spirit, but your serious spirit. If one leads you wrong, I'm sure the other tells you of it. Hmm. Yeah. Very encapsulating of Emma. Yeah, and he also, he it shows that he knows her on a deeper level than most people who just think of probably her vain spirit. Well, the thing is, Emma is a person who people love. Mm-hmm. She might be chatty. She might be haughty, snotty. Mm-hmm. But people find her unbelievably charming and clever. And one of the problems with them, the reason she is so vain is because so many people indulge those loves of her and respect for her that she's kind of thought she's amazing. And obviously, Knightley is the person to consistently knock her down a peg. But he doesn't just do that to knock her down a peg. He's not just, you know, trying to insult her all the time. He right. knows she's brilliant. He knows she's a good person. And he is challenging her to try to reach into that like other part of her brain that he knows is there. And Emma, we hear Emma speak in that voice sometimes through the book. Mm-hmm. And he's challenging that serious side of her brain to overcome her vain spirit. Right. So it's more like Knightley's not just constantly shitting on Emma for no reason. He's trying to say, no, you're better than this. I see that you're better than this. And there's been so many times in this book where Emma's like, you're wrong. And then it, later in her head, she's like, no, Knightley was right about me. Like, this, this, and this. And so you really see this, like, better angel of Emma's that only Knightley sees because he's the only one who criticizes her vanity to a really serious degree. Yeah. And the combo means that he might have, if not a better opinion of her than everybody else, a more clear-cut, true opinion of who she is. And despite his criticisms, he sees her in such he admires her so deeply for her consistently good qualities and he's just always trying to tug him out of her yeah yeah he believes in her yes (laughs) 
Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. We should just read some of this dialogue together because it's just all so good. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to be Emma or Knightley? I'll be Emma. Okay, I'll be Knightley. I shall not scold you. I leave you to your own reflections. Can you trust me with such flatterers? Does my vain spirit ever tell me I am wrong? Not your vain spirit, but your serious spirit. If one leads you wrong, I'm sure the other tells you of it. I do own myself to have been completely mistaken in Mr. Elton. There is a littleness about him, which you discovered and which I did not and I was fully convinced of his being in love with Harriet. It was through a strange series of blunders. And in return of your, for your acknowledging so much, I will do you the justice to say that you would have chosen better for him than he has chosen for himself. Harriet Smith has some first-rate qualities which Mrs. Elton is totally without. An unpretending, single-minded, artless girl, infinitely to be preferred by any man of sense and taste to such a woman as Mrs. Elton. I found Harriet more conversable than I expected. That's a great passage for a lot of reasons, because you remember at the beginning of the book, we talked really way back when, it's been a while, about that argument that Knightley and Emma had when she tried to convince him that the declining of the proposal from Robert Martin was the correct move for Harriet. He was actually pretty mean to Harriet. He said, she has no class. She's stupid. She's pretty, but she's got not much to offer. Yeah. And Emma was like, you're wrong about her. And we talked at the time about how, in a lot of ways, Knightley was right about Harriet's social class. But I pushed a little and prodded a little about his summation of Harriet as a person. And all this way down the book, hundreds of pages later, you see Knightley actually acknowledging that Harriet is, in her core, a pretty good person. So, like, Emma was wrong about Mr. Elton and Knightley was right. But... 
Knightley was wrong about Harriet and Emma was right. And in her acknowledging that she was wrong about Mr. Elton, he's saying, and I'll do you one better, you were right about Harriet. Yeah, I mean, I think he still thinks that there were some class dynamics and I don't think he's wrong that Emma was wrong about. Totally. She should have said yes to Mr. Martin. (laughs) But I think he's saying I was unfair to this girl and you were right that she is actually kind of a cool person. Yeah, like you've chosen well for your friend and you would have, she would have made... Mr. Elton, a better wife than Mrs. Elton, but yeah, she dodged a bullet. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, we can all agree. Yes. Harriet dodged the ultimate bullet in this book. So then the dancing starts up again and Mr. Weston is going around being like, come on, everyone dance, dance, please. And Mr. Knightley asks Emma who she will dance with. And Emma says, with you, if you will ask me. I melted. I melted into a puddle on the floor. I got full body chills. I have them again right now. And so he says, he says, will you? And she says she will. And she says he's a good dancer. And quote, you know, we are not really so much brother and sister as to make it all improper. And he says, brother and sister. No, indeed. How are you feeling? Give me give me some thoughts. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm glad that's settled that they don't think of themselves as brother and sister. Yeah, they do not. As much as I have said, they are basically related They're They don't think of themselves as related because it's their siblings that are married. Mm -hmm. They're like not. And like, again, today, that would be weird. But I'm glad that in their minds, they're like, well, we're not really brother and sister. We're more best friends. Once again, we have seen a lot of cousins propose to each other in these books. And so this is at least. They're not related by blood. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, (laughs) like (laughs) this scene is so hot. So hot. Yes. So this is why I texted Becca saying, are you kidding me with cutting it off right here? Yeah. But if you read the next line. I don't want to give too much away, but the next line is Emma had a great time and reflected upon the conversation the next day. Yeah. So I'm glad that like, I think it was good to cut it off there. We're in the action, but oh my God, when she said with you, and it says that she hesitates before she says with you, if you'll ask me. And I'm like, what is she thinking in that moment of hesitation? Well, first of all, Emma got game because that's, that's a hot line. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) With you, if you'll ask me. With you, if you'll ask me. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. Oh my god, I can just picture it and I can picture he's got it like a little smile and he says, Will you? Uh, <laughs> and he offers his hand and then she takes it. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna get too into this, but keep in mind that we do indeed have movies to watch of this. I cannot wait. <sighs> wow. Yeah, that's my feelings. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm speechless. Ooh, all right, so let's let's bring it back to to Earth because we finished the chapter. So it's time for Becca's study questions. Oof, oof. Question number one: Is Emma over Frank? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, mm, she might be now, but she was very much like, yeah, I'm over him. I don't even like him like that anymore. I'm I'm gonna be fine when I see him. He won't be fine. He won't be the one that's fine. But I feel like. She still is projecting a little bit and being like, well, he's just nervous to be around me. Certainly some of that. Those are actually two different questions. There's Mm. does Emma think that Frank still loves her or does Emma still love Frank? And I want to sort of tie together a little tendril and give my opinion here because obviously it's like not confirmed, but I don't think Emma does love Frank Mm -hmm. in this moment because you might remember there's that scene, that tense scene between the two of them, and then he leaves. And then as he's gone, Emma reflects on how she feels and decides she was in love with him. Then when he comes back, 
it goes away. So, and if you compare that also to how she felt about him before she met him, what you really see is that Emma in her head creates stories of being in love with Frank Churchill when he's gone. But when he's there, she's like, I love him as a friend. He's great, but I don't know. There's no spark. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what I see here is, again, Emma being excited by the idea of love and playing up a fantasy of it without actually pinpointing where her chemistry with someone lies. Right. Because she and Frank unquestionably get along. They are very well matched to be in each other's lives. And they have a lot of fun together. And there is obviously and clearly some flirtation that goes on between Emma and Frank. But Emma only reflects on him being someone who's a suitable suitor for her when he's not around her. Right. So it tells me that she's really, like, come up with this idea of Frank in her head. But when he's actually in front of her, she's like, eh. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. I think that until she can totally let go of that idea when he's not there, too. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some sort of like, not hope, but like tension or like she's going to be thinking about Mm -hmm. it um, and they won't be able to move past it. But yeah, I I was kind of thinking like she's as much in love with him as she kind of ever was, which I don't think is very much like it's it. It is an idea of him. It's a kind of um, not a lust thing, but a lust after the wanting to be in love. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it goes to celebrity crushes. Yeah, like, exactly. It's that idea of, like, oh, this is a hot person who would be perfect for me. Amazing. Um, I also think it, it speaks to Emma's, like, growing maturity in some ways in the book. She's someone who has her ebbs and flows of maturity through the book. But this, this sort of self-reflection on how she's actually feeling, I think, is a sign of growth. Growth. For our girl, Emma yes. Woodhouse. Question number two... Why is Frank being weird? That I don't know. I think something with him and Jane, to be honest, because all of his weirdness has been around, like, her arrival. Here's the thing, though. Jane was there before. Why is he acting weirder around Emma now? Like, what has changed between the last time he saw Emma and now that he was all over Emma and now he's kind of there and having fun with her, but it's not he's distanced himself. You don't have to come up with an answer. It's more of a something to chew on. Something to chew on. I mean, the last time something like this happened, it was because someone got married in their absence. Um, I don't think that Frank got married, but maybe he met someone or something happened. Maybe his the Churchills were like, what are you doing? Probably. Um, I don't know. Something to think about. Something to think about. Okay, next question. What do you make of Emma's reaction to how Frank's different? Hmm. Well, again, she's like attributing it to him, like not trusting himself around her and like feeling like it's a tentative rope to walk. Well, I guess if the Churchill said that they were going to disown him if he kept dating Emma or something like that, that uh, he would walk a tentative rope and not trust himself around her. So she could be onto something if that's what happened. Um, but I think as long as she continues attributing it to her and like being like, oh, it must be because of me, then she's in danger of not being able to open herself up to someone else who might be in love with her, for example. Um, 
Yeah. The more I say it, the more I think the Churchills said they were going to disown Frank if he kept talking to Emma. Just a thought. Just a thought. Okay. Number four. The ball hath arrived. Graham, give us a little, like, ball music here, maybe. A little ball music. Mm-hmm. All right. That's enough. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> you love um, to cut Grandma. I, I love to cut Grandma. I, I want, like a, like, a, like, a boom, and it's gone. Yeah. So this is actually pretty late in the game for a ball to happen in a Jane Austen novel, if mm-hmm. you have noticed. How does it change the dynamics? How are people different at this party than they would be at other parties? Um, I think everyone's being different because Mrs. Elton is there. And like it's there's an outsider in their in club where everyone is normally friends with each other. And Mrs. Elton is there making it all about her. So I feel like people are like on edge, like the Westons want everything to be perfect and want or like having to cater to her and not like celebrate the way they want to. Um, The dynamic is different. I don't know what it is that made Emma ask Knightley to dance with her, but I'm so happy. Um, And like the fact that he's dancing, which he never does, is different. Mr. Elton's there, so there's like tension between Harriet and the rest of Harriet in the room and Emma in the room. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I also just think that... um... Emma has been a lower stakes book generally mm-hmm. than our other books at this point in time. And it's been weirdly a less sexy book so yeah. far. The balls are where everything comes together and people like everyone's in one place at one time. Everyone's a little bit less inhibited. Everyone's dancing together, which means everyone's touching. And you you really see this level of excitement and like they're taking the social event more seriously than their other social events they have in a while. So I think it adds, it kind of moves the story along by not just having people converse with each other, but having action occur in the context of these people being extra presenting to each other Mm -hmm. in the context of a dance as opposed to just a little dinner party. It's It's a more formal event in a place that doesn't have formal events. It's like the difference between house parties in high school and prom in high school. Right, right. Yeah, the stakes feel higher. Mm -hmm. feels more on display. Yes, and you really see all these characters sort of come to life. They're all dancing with each other. They're all, all these interactions are coming up like between like the Eltons and Harriet finally. You get to finally see Frank meet Mrs. Elton, Augusta, and you get to see how like you said, she's a wrench in their whole community in a certain way. You get to see a Jane Fairfax really come to life. You mm-hmm. get to see Emma in a context we have not seen Emma before, which is sort of like lively and dancey. Yeah. It's great. With Mr. Knightley. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to I want to talk about Mr. Elton and I want to talk about that moment with Harriet because it's so cruel. Yeah. Do you think Mr. Elton has always been this cruel or do you think this is something that Mrs. Elton has heightened in him? Mm, that's a good question. Um I think it was always there. I mean, we used to like him or at least I used to like him. <laughs> yeah. Um you never liked him, but I used to like him. I thought he was a little snivelly, but he wasn't like he didn't seem like a bad guy, but I think that this kind of asshole behavior doesn't come out of nowhere. Like it had to be, he was always capable of it. And I think that he chose a wife 
who would bring this out in him knowing that she was the way that she was. Like, I don't think that she's like egging him on out of no cruelness in himself. So I think he's just a dick. Well, you see Mr. Elton being somewhat of a slave to his own etiquette in the first half of the book. And really um, polite, overly polite, almost like suck up. And when he proposes to Emma, he's like kind of weirdly cruel to Harriet and then also slights Emma almost immediately after he proposes. So you kind of see edges of how rude this guy really wants to be. And what he has with Mrs. Elton is someone who's wealthy and thinks of herself as very high class and gives him permission to be as disgusting as he wants to be, as rude as he wants to be, and have this, because he's no longer trying to social climb, it's like this veneer of politeness was able to be like wiped away for him because now he's like got someone who makes him feel like it's okay to be that way. He also shows himself to be a little bit more shamed in this chapter than Mrs. Elton does. And I think that's because he knows Knightley is someone he was supposed to be sucking up to. And the fact that Knightley made him look like an asshole is not going to be ideal for a Mrs. Elton. Yeah, totally. All right. Uh, The Knightley and Emma combo. I have two questions about this. First being, why does Knightley admit he's wrong here? I think it's because Emma's admitted that she was wrong. And I think that he's he's admitting that he was wrong in, as a way to make her see that, like, it's okay to be wrong sometimes. Well, I think he's also saying, like, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We both had our classist tendencies here. Also, I think he's seen Harriet for who she really is at this point, And that is a, a person he may have underestimated. Yes. Yeah, and he's just a good person and he's not going to, like, he shouldn't have done that and he knows that and he's not going to let that go uncorrected. Yes. Um, so I'm proud of him. All right, last question. Why is it so sexy? Why it's is that so sexy. Why is that conversation so sexy? It's just, well, first of all, Regency era, right? So, like, they're going to touch hands in a second. I know. <laughs> um, second of all, I think Emma taking charge in that way saying with you if you'll ask me when he asks her who she's gonna dance with like that's hot we love a woman taking charge and then him being like yeah okay like I'll do what you say Mm. uh yes I mean a man of following instructions is about the sexiest thing on earth um (laughs) but yeah I mean obviously we've talked about the fact that Jane Austen writes sexiness in Regency era, unlike anybody else, she really knows how to capture romance. And I think here it's the scene itself is not that sexy. They're having a conversation about who was right, who was wrong, and they're being catty about other people. And then they're like, let's dance. What makes that scene so sexy is everything that's come before it between Emma and Knightley, which is to say there is a level of intimacy in this friendship, a level of knowing each other that comes across in this conversation. And these are two people who never dance. They never get to dance. And they spend most of their lives bickering with each other in love, like in a loving way. But they are finally put in a context where they (laughs) get to explore a new way of interacting with each other And it is surprising and pleasant for both of them in that moment. Yeah. 
all this to say, I mean, we, we love a friends to lovers <laughs> trope here. Love a friends to lovers trope? <laughs> yes. Not always, obviously, because Eleanor and Brandon, I mean. Yes, yes, yes. But, best friends. But like, that's, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, but like the way that this is written compared to the way that is written, you can see the, the ways in which this is hitting these two characters slightly differently than it hits other characters. So, I mean, it's a simple scene. You, I mean, we can read we can read it again. Yes, let's read it again. Whom are you going to dance with? Asked Knightley. She hesitated a moment, then replied, with you, if you will ask me. Will you? Said he, offering his hand. Indeed, I will. You have shown that you can dance, and you know we are not really so much brother and sister as to make it all improper. Brother and sister? No, indeed. It's a very simple passage. I know. But it makes everyone's heart a flutter. I think it's just because first, like, if it had stopped after asking to dance, like, that's fine. But then it's her drawing attention to the fact that they are not related. Like, you can dance with your cousin. Like, people dance with their cousins. People dance with their dad. People dance with their mom. Like, you can dance with whoever. But the fact that she's drawing attention to the fact that, but this is, this is not in a you're my brother way. He's like, oh, no, I'm not your brother. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you think of Emma? Um, she's having a moment. She's having her moment. She's growing. She is dancing. Um, I'm very curious about, like, how this is going to play out with Frank Churchill, because what you've said does make me think that she isn't so much um, obsessed with. She's not obsessed with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. And I can't wait to see her talk about or think about her dance with Knightley. Indeed. Uh, funniest quote. Okay, so this is after Emma arrives and so have like the rest of the party to <laughs> yes. get set up. Emma perceived that her taste was not the only taste on which Mr. Weston depended and felt that to be the favorite and intimate of a man who had so many intimates and confidants was not the very first distinction in the scale of vanity. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mr. Weston, we stand. We do. Questions moving forward? Um, How will this badge with Emma and Knightley? I'm excited to just see where that goes. Why is Frank being weird? What's going to happen between him and Emma? Him and Jane, potentially? Mrs. Elton? Will Harriet get a second chance with Robert Martin? I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. Okay. Who wins the chapters? Mr. Knightley. Uh, uh, yeah, you cannot beat seeing someone be rude to your friend's friend and like seeing a girl in need and just being like, I'm going to be the most chivalrous, kind, compassionate gentleman and I'm going to shame the fuck out of the guy who just slighted her. Yeah. And I'm going to dance with her and then I'm going to go tell Emma that even though she was wrong, I was also a little wrong. And then we're going to dance together. Mr. Knightley. Uh, uh, I love him. Yeah. 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 All, all I can say on that. All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. So for next time, we're going to ne- read the next three chapters, chapters 39 through 41. Or if you're in a volumed book, volume the third, chapters three through five. Molly, are you ready for that? I'm so excited. Well, then until next time, stay proper. And... Go dance with your best friend who might turn into your lover. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. 
Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.